One, two, three, four. We like us. We like us. Whoa. Whoa. We're here this week with Whoa. two loud guys. With me, Daniel Korn. And me, Corey Gardner. So we accidentally skipped last week. That wasn't on purpose. It was, uh, we were on a canoe trip in Algonquin Park, which is in Ontario. And, Where we live. Uh, yep. <laughs> and it was just, we got back on the Monday, and it was just, like, pretty hard to, to get a day together, I guess. And I'm, I'm going away tomorrow. To forever. Holy land. You're going yeah. to the Holy Land? Yeah, forever. Forever. You know, because I'm going to go there, and they're going to convert me, and then I'm just going to live there. Yeah, you're going to become an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah. Just live you know. in Israel forever. Yeah. That's what happens to everybody. I know. I know. So that's what's going to happen to me. Uh, so this is the last episode of Too Loud, guys. Ever. Ever. Um, sorry, guys. Just, yep. Yeah. Uh, see you next week. Never. I mean. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway. So, but yes, I am I'm going to Israel tomorrow. So we are, we're doing our... Our, I mean, it won't be our last episode, right? You're gonna, you're gonna do some stuff, right? I cannot promise anything. Oh, do it. I might need a hiatus, and I also don't know if anybody's gonna be interested in doing it with me anyway. Do it on air. Do it on air. Make the promise. I'm not making any promises. Adam will do it. I already know he will. Alright, well, if he does, then we'll do it. Alright. Fucking better. They'll have the H4, so you'll be able to. Shouldn't what the be hell is the H4? That's the recording thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Corey, what you been up to, man? Nothing really. You know, we went on a canoe trip. We did. We did that do was, that. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Because that was like, you know, because after my weeks of going to the States to see shows, the canoe trip was kind of my last trip of the summer. That's right. And now I'm just waiting around for school to start again. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you got planned for the next month? Waiting around for school to start right. again. <laughs> Great. Yeah, what about you? I mean, going to Israel. Yeah. What's happened? Not much. <clears throat> Usual stuff. Canoe trip. Yeah. All that stuff. Should we uh, should we talk about some music? Why, why would we, we do, do that? Because I think that's what we do here. I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. I, don't we talk about canoeing? Oh, Isn't yeah. Isn't this a canoe-themed the canoe podcast? Theme podcast? So I got a new aura the other day. <laughs> I also learned a new stroke. I don't think that's true. You're lying to me. Yeah. All I've been doing is listening to music. <laughs> I, I guess we have to talk about music I then. I guess we should. We don't really have a choice, because it's all we know how to talk about. That's true. Alright, well, Corey, what have you been listening to? You yawning. Thanks. It was. I beautiful. just listened to you yawn. You did. It had a really nice timbre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been working on it. Yeah, I could tell. I've just I've decided to, to give up drums uh, and guitar and bass and just take up uh, yawn. You know, you could take it to an opera hall. Yep. Just, uh, you'll be like the first person to be famous for his yawns. I know. Uh, it's it's revolutionary. Very rich. Thank you. But for realsies, what have you been listening to? Um, mostly albums that I haven't finished listening to yet. Okay. <laughs> There's one album I listened to all the way through, and I don't remember when. It was a few weeks ago. But, and I don't remember how I got... Yes, I do remember how I got onto it, actually. I was looking at a list of, like, summer albums, and there was one album on there that I realized I've listened to before and I always liked, and yet I never, like, got into it, so I never kept it. And it was Exile in Guyville by uh, Liz Fair. Okay. <clears throat> now, Liz Fair is an interesting character, because she came out with that album in the early 90s during the grunge boom and everything, and it was very kind of confessional singer-songwriter rock music, and it was really, like, huge, like, indie success. And then she went progressively more and more toward being kind of a pop artist after that, and, uh... <clears throat> And it reached a point in the early 2000s where she was actually just making like really slick kind of radio friendly pop songs and all the fans she had garnered from her early work sort of completely left her. And now and that's kind of it. That's really where her career still stands to this day. So it's an interesting transition. She She's made. still something of like a legend though. Because of her early stuff, yeah. Sure. But her her new stuff's kind of made a mockery of most of the time. Yeah. But Exile and Guyville is a really, really great album. My first impression of it for the first few songs that it kind of struck me as like a cross between Nirvana and the Rolling Stones from the perspective of a female. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, it's kind of cool. You see how she's like a real sort of precursor to like Alanis Morissette and all that kind of junk. Yeah, I mean, we you put that on when we were yeah. packing for the canoe trip, and I thought yeah. it was really cool stuff. I haven't checked it mm-hmm. out yet, but I it, I did think it sounded quite good. Yeah, so that's that's pretty sweet. It's like 
like the Stones meets Nirvana meets Joni Mitchell. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's good combo. That is a good Bands. combo. Uh, yeah. What about you? Um, I did not listen to that much. That was new stuff. But I was listening to a lot of old stuff. Um, the, the one new album I had to listen to, which was an album that I had to review, was by this band called The Purity Ring, who are not the greatest band in the world. What is that? They're an electronic duo from Montreal. Um, they, they're sort of big in the indie scene from, as a, from what I understand. Like, I remember I would hear them a lot on, uh, Siri XMU, which mm. is the, the, uh, The university station? It's the indie station. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like a college radio station, but it's satellite radio, so it's not actually a specific set college. It's I just see. like, it's just like That's meant, meant to be a college radio station. So it's, which is essentially, it's an indie rock station. Right. Um, uh, so they, you know, sort of building up steam there. And I was looking up stuff about them. There was a lot of stuff about them on Pitchfork. Like, it seems like it was a pretty um, heavily anticipated album. The album's called Shrines. And it's their debut. And it's, like, it's okay. Um, I have a review that just got posted up today. So I can just post What that. is it that you don't like about uh, it? So, okay. They're an... El- uh, they're... They're not really indie rock at all. They're they're an electronic group. There's no guitars anywhere. It's all electronic. So it's uh, it's a vocalist basically and an instrumentalist. Okay. They're a duo. And I actually think they're really effective in very small doses. Like I find the lyrics are quite good and generally pretty interesting. The the woman the girl's voice is like unsuspecting and not particularly distinct, but it's also sort of hidden behind all these layers of reverb and delay and stuff, so it's got this kind of smooth quality, it like blends in a lot mm-hmm. very well with with everything else, with all the music. And the music is cool because it's like super electronic influence. Like, I mean, this is essentially an electronic album, and the music by itself, you know, they're, they're these sort of short pop songs that have choruses and that kind of thing, but if they didn't have those lyrics, they would just sort of be these ambient, kind of dark tracks. Mm-hmm. So it works really well in short doses. It's like one song or two songs or even three are like are pretty effective together. But the problem is that all the songs sound exactly the same. Like they're all totally this sort of dark, depressing, but also very pretty uh, electronic music. That's you know pretty heavily influenced by like late '90s, early 2000s kind of house and and ambient techno and that kind of stuff. But then, is the variation in the songs themselves? Because when you say the songs all sound the same, it seems more like you're saying the vibe of all the songs. No, 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 no. I mean, they like they sound quite similar. Like the the sort of the sound effects used in each one are very similar. The okay. synth tones are all very similar. The structures are very similar. Um, so it comes yeah, up being like one big song. Yeah, definitely the mood. The mood, but like on a on a sort of greater level, it's the songs themselves just sound kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that that can work, that can be totally effective. But you mm-hmm. know, when you have such a specific style and such like a specific sound that you're going for, and it's this sort of drab kind of dreary tone, it just starts to wear on you a lot. Yeah, on an album. And the album's pretty short too. It's like under forty minutes. But, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, it just kind of gets boring by the end of it, which is a bit of a shame, because you can, you know, you can tell that they have potential, they seem like they're pretty strong, the instrumentals themselves are quite good. Generally, I think they are a good band that are kind of overhyped, but they just, like, they're not effective in an album format. And that's just that. That's just how it is. Alright. Yeah. What else do you have? Well, this is where I get into the section where I only talk about albums that I haven't actually listened to all the way through. That's cool. (laughs) Uh, So here's some interesting new stuff. There's some uh, some new music by uh, by uh, Blue, who is a part of the uh, the hip hop uh, duo Blue and Exile. Uh, So are they not together anymore as a duo? I think they kind of are. I mean, they only ever released one album together, and I think they've been they're very kind of off and on. And I, don't, I think their personal relationship was never that good, because on their album, he kind of addresses at one point that they're not really friends with each other huh. in one of his lyrics, but that they just work really well together. And I thought that was kind of, that was always kind of an interesting thing for him to address in his lyrics on a music produced by this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you told me to check out that. Like, when I was first getting into hip-hop, I remember being like, you sh- give me hip-hop albums to listen to. And mm-hmm. you gave me that one, yeah. and I just never listened to it. And mm-hmm. I... I'm sure it's great. Yeah, that's yeah. I just forgot. I probably it. gave it to you because that's an album that a lot of people who don't really listen to hip hop tend to like. Mm-hmm. And so those are always kind of the best hip hop albums for people who don't listen to hip hop. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so he released this new album called No York, and uh, and it's really, really interesting because Blue, to me, is always a rapper who sort of, you know, as a lyricist, has kind of a unique vision and a very personal one, but always is doing a very traditional kind of hip-hop thing with his music and, you know, tends to be kind of a soul rap kind of guy. And uh, But this album isn't like that at all. On this album, it's really sort of next-level, weird, electronic-oriented kind of stuff. <clears throat> you know, very in line with the kind of things that, like, you know, artists like Shabazz Palaces and those kind of, you know, new sort of uh, hip-hop guys have been doing. Um, he uses a lot of video game samples, which are really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds rad. Yeah, it gives it this really uh, kind of interesting vibe. And, you know, his raps are kind of similar to what they usually are, but because of the music, it sounds like it's something totally different. Mm-hmm. And it never feels like it's forced or anything. It never feels like they're kind of, like, trying to create something. It just feels like this is naturally kind of where he is right now. So that's a really interesting album. So it's a good album, you're, t- you're saying. So far, you know, I've listened to, like, the first bit of it only. Yeah. So I don't, I can't really say much about the album itself, but it is an album mm-hmm. with a cool sound, at least. I forgot the big thing that happened musically was that last week I saw Toon Yards. Oh yeah, how was that? Toon Yards was incredible. She is so good live, and her band is amazing, and like, great energy. She's like, I can't believe how good she is with her, like, with her loop pedal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I watch videos of it, it's really cool. Yeah, because like, she's able, you know, she sort of sets up, she, she has like these... Because, you know, she sings, she plays ukulele, and she has, like, these two drums. Like, she just has, like, a four-tom and a snare. And just the way she's able to layer drum tracks so quickly is outstanding. Because, you know, I've seen Keller Williams play live, and he does all that, too. You know, Keller Williams yeah. usually just plays by himself, and he just loops everything. Mm-hmm. So part of the fun of seeing Keller Williams is seeing him construct the song that he is playing. Right, he's like a one-man jam yeah. band. So he sort of constructs the song, and then he's playing the song, because now he has all the parts that he's looped, and now it's all together and that kind of thing. And that's fun, but Toon Yards is incredible, because Keller Williams takes a while to construct this stuff. Mm-hmm. Because he's jamming. And not, not even that, it's just, you know, he's, he's like making songs. He's not entirely jamming. He, you know, there's improvisation there, but not, yeah. not a whole... I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how much improvisation there is. Okay. Um, but it does take him a while to build up these songs. Toon Yards doesn't. It's like she goes through... Uh, one drum beat, she gets it like in the first bar that she plays it in. She goes on the next one, gets that. Goes on the next one, gets that, and then like four bars later, she just has this like intense drum beat going on. Mm-hmm. It's like amazing how efficient and fast she is with. But it. is she just recreating what's on the record? Sometimes, not always. Um, there are a lot of extended sections. Like she is, she is recreating what's on the record. But aside from that, there's, you know, there are there are songs that go on for longer. There are songs leading into other songs and sort of mixing and matching stuff. Like there is an element of improvisation there. There's one part that I thought was really cool where she got she so her band is just her and then a bass player who also does some synth stuff when it's called for, but mostly plays bass. Um, and these two and an alto sax and tenor sax. And so there's one song where she gets them to do a solo at the end. So they go and they, they you know they take turns. And so first the alto sax played a solo and it was like this crazy noise solo. But he and he recorded it because he also has a loop pedal. So he was recording that while he was doing it. And so when it went to the tenor guy, he started doing a solo and he was doing it on top of what the alto sax crazy noise solo had just done. Mm. It was like really really interesting stuff. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, she's that band is amazing live. Go see Toon Yards if you can. It's pretty, pretty great. Ben that opened for her was not very good, though. What were they called? They were called Mozart's Sister. Mozart's Sister. Um, she was also, she was from Montreal, I think, and she was like another sort of like one-person one person band kind of thing. Except, you know, we've talked about before how, you know, talking about like hip-hop performance and how you make that interesting. And we were talking about, you know, <laughs> The Roots, obviously, and, and Shabazz Palaces and having those elements of live performance in there that's, that, that make it so you're not just playing on top of a track. Right. The problem was that that's what she was doing. Is like she was, there was like no performance involved at all. She just had all her music on her record? Y- yeah, well, she sort of had like a table, and the table had a couple of pedals, like guitar pedals and stuff, to, I guess, to modulate her voice with. Hmm. Um, and that was kind of it. And then she was just playing her tracks and singing on top of them, and it was just yeah. boring. Like there was no interesting performance aspect. It was just like this girl, and she had an okay voice, but her songs weren't great, and... Her lyrics weren't very good. Hmm. At one point, she brought on a bass player, which made it a little better, but still not great, and just totally kind of insipid and tepid. Just kind of boring, shitty. All right, you didn't like that one. No, but Toon Yards <laughs> was great. 
So go see Tuneyard. She is amazing. Also, she said that uh, she might be taking, like she said, like they're taking like a pretty long break after this tour is over. So if you get a chance, you gotta take it. Now the take time. the Tuneyards. Yeah. Uh, all right. What else you got? Hmm. Well. Another new album. This one is much newer than the Blue album, but that's also only like less than a few months old. Mm -hmm. But this one is brand spanking new and is the new album by Domo Genesis from the Odd Future Collective, and it's called No Idols. And what's really cool about this album is that he, the entire thing, is produced by the Alchemist, who's a really big sort of underground hip hop producer. And on Haji Beats, another member of Odd Future, his last tape that we talked about and we're both very fond of, there were a few beats from The Alchemist on mm. there, but this one is all original Alchemist beats. And I think it's interesting that <laughs> Domo Genesis, you know, because Domo Genesis was always kind of one of the weaker links of the collective as far as being a rapper goes. Uh, <clears throat> I think he's an okay rapper. I've always found him to be a weak link. Fair. Well, you, you like know, Rolling Papers a lot, though, don't you? Because of Tyler's production, but that's the thing. As a rapper, I always found him to be pretty weak. Yeah, I don't, but that album has such a good sound. Yeah, I don't cool love songs. I don't love Domo, but I do I do think rap, uh, Rolling Papers is a pretty good album. And I thought yeah. his mixtape was pretty good too. And I, I see I didn't really like his mixtape at all, yeah. so it kind of made me lose even more faith that I, in whatever I had in him. But this album's kind of a whole new thing. Um, you know, because Haji Beats, on his last tape, we were talking about how he was kind of becoming a bit more mature as a lyricist yeah. and, and begin to say kind of more interesting things and flow better. And uh, incredibly, Domo Genesis has done a very similar thing with this album, where it feels like he's not just being an idiot anymore, and he's kind of... Well, he's not really doing the stoner thing, right? Yeah, not so he's much. He's kind of dropped, dropped that at yeah, this point. Yeah. I mean, more, I haven't, I haven't listened to No Idols yet, but I have, mm -hmm. I, I, I did download it, and I have sort of taken a... a cursory glance at some mm -hmm. of the stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still the obligatory references to pot here and there, but it's not sort of the whole theme of the album anymore. Yeah. You know, he gets a bit more personal and seems to be talking about things that are a bit kind of closer to his heart. Um, closer to the heart. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, and there's just there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the beats, a lot of, like, guitars and just kind of different stuff like that. And Earl Sweatshirt appears on three right, tracks. Right, that was another. And that, I've only listened to one of the tracks he's on, and I wasn't all that impressed with his verse. But it's exciting that he's back on a bunch of tracks, all the same. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I finally got. Uh, so Earl, for some reason, on my iPod, has been fucked up, where it splits. It splits the album into two separate albums called each called Earl, and they each have like half of the tracks on them. Weird. So I haven't been able to listen to that album, and they're like out of order. You know what I bet it is? It's well, I finally I finally figured out the problem, which is that the album artist is different. Oh, okay. So I fixed that, and now I finally have it. So I was listening to Earl the other day. Yeah, iTunes is weird. There are so many factors in <laughs> making the songs play in order. Yeah. Well, I realize now that album artist is a very smart thing that no one ever uses. Why? Because what you can do then is you can sort of say, like, oh, this entire album is a Tyler the Creator album, but then you can put as the artist... Um, Tyler and... Tyler and whoever, and it will mm -hmm. still come up as Tyler the Creator, one album on your right. iPod, I believe. Yeah, yeah never, that yeah. is how it works. But I've never used that before, and I didn't know that was a thing. Hmm. Um, so it just kind of fucked up my Earl. But now it's back. So I've been uh, pretty excited to... So I, so I got back into that album. That album's really fucking good, man. Sweet. So good. So yeah. good. Ah. Yeah, he's been all over the place. He even appeared on a Trank on Frank Ocean's out in New York. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I still didn't listen to that. Yeah, I mean... We said we were going to listen to that Oh, did time. we? Yeah. We better listen yeah, to it next Yeah, we time. didn't. Well, I'll have two weeks and I didn't download it, so I'm probably uh, not going <laughs> to... True. I just totally forgot about it, and now my iPod is full hmm. of, like, new stuff and stuff to listen to. Yeah. Um... But yeah, that's cool. What was I... There's something I was going to say. I watched... Did you watch Earl's interview with, no. in, with the Hot 97 guy? No, I didn't know he did one. Yeah, he did. It was like his first interview. With Pete Rosenberg? Uh, I don't know. Is he white? Yes. Probably Pete Rosenberg. Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's not really... It's funny because Tyler is there. Um, so the whole interview becomes like Tyler just kind of fucking trolling. And then there's like two minutes of Earl, of Earl actually talking about stuff. Hmm. There's another, there's a really good New York Times article about sort of him being away and, and how he changed and that kind of stuff. So yeah, really excited to see some new Earl stuff. Yeah, apparently, you know, because he was on those tracks in that Domo Genesis tape, the Alchemist was like, I'm going to be working with this guy soon. Oh, sick. So that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I kind of like the whole insular 
ask like it, it's interesting on the one hand it's interesting to see them go sort of beyond the group mm-hmm. on the other hand it's like the insular aspect of odd feature i feel is kind of important i liked it but you know i like that they're opening up i feel like you know in the vi- in the beginning that insular kind of attitude was good and it got stale pretty quickly yeah. and you know them opening themselves up to outside artists i think has helped them do more creative things probably yeah um yeah, and maybe this will, you know, it'll help Tyler just be able to focus on Wolf or whatever he's yeah, doing. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, something else I was going to say about Rommel, I think. Whatever. That's cool. Y'all thought you killed me. <laughs> That's cool. Um, Alright, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I've mostly just been getting really heavily into Future of the Left, who I've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. They're kind of like this really crazy noise punk band that I have grown to like a lot. I've gotten into the point now where I'm looking into their lyrics, and their lyrics are kind of cryptic and also kind of funny and clearly political, but I have no idea what they're about. Hmm. Um, Just like, that band is just really smart and awesome. It's like... They sound so oppressive. Oppressive? Why oppressive? I don't know. I just, when I was listening to them, I felt like I was in a dungeon being whipped. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's how they made me feel. They have a sort of, some of their songs have this sort of mechanical kind of vibe to yeah. them, I guess. Which is, which is kind of cool. And there's just a lot of, like, noisy drones. Um, drones? Eh. Maybe drones is a slightly inappropriate term to use, but it's something like that. It, it feels like it's just like just like piles of noise attacking. Yeah, them. sometimes a couple other songs are like that. Yeah, I I've great. Yeah, I need to get their first two albums. The, the the newest album is called the, what the fuck is it called? The Plot Against Common Sense, hmm. and it's great. And it's probably my favorite album of the year so far, which I've been starting to sort of put together. I've started to like sort of put together my list of, because uh, you know I, I sort of have realized that I have listened to more from this year than I thought I had. Mm-hmm. And while I haven't, like, discovered a whole lot of bands this year, I have, like, a lot of bands that I like have released a lot of good stuff this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what my list is going to come down to. Bands I like who release music this year. Yeah, but, you know, that's fine. But, yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to have a list, you know? Because I feel like I, I... I felt like I didn't. I was, like, kind of worried that I, that I did not have a top five or top ten of this year. Well, only but, half the year's gone anyway. Oh, well, more than half at this point. It's August. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A little more than half. Yeah, we're like we're all we're we're almost in the in the last third of yeah. of of the year. Um. Yeah. You got anything else? Um. Have you ever listened to Big Black? No. Do you know about them? Sort of. Yeah. So they were Steve Albini's band in the '80s. Right. And he obviously went on to become a huge producer. He produced Nirvana and a whole bunch of other bands. Um. He even produced Joanna Newsom. And, uh, but Big Black was just this noise punk band who he was in, and they have this really iconic album from 88 called Songs About Fucking. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I, I've been listening to that album, and at first it was just this incredibly daunting hunk of noise that I just, it was so impenetrable, and now I'm starting to find the songs that are buried underneath the noise, and that's always kind of rewarding when you're listening to noise <laughs> it rock, when it's like at first it's just impossible to get it at all, and you never want to hear it again, <laughs> but you keep trying because you know there's something interesting in there, and then you start to like find it underneath those layers of muck that there's actually like song craft there. Um, so yeah. So what does that stuff sound like? Because I've... I've peripherally been interested in checking out that album and then sort of never have. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a very... It's like... First off, you know, it, it, it has a certain legend to it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it has a certain mythical quality, and it's, yeah. it's sort of this fairly large album that a lot of people know, and it has yeah. Steve Albini in it, and the cover is very um, distinct. Iconic. Yeah, and iconic. Yeah. But um, I've, never, I've never actually done it. Well, you know, you've heard In Utero by Nirvana, which yes. he produced. <laughs> so that's kind of like... A pop version of Big Black, as far as the way he made it sound, you know, like with his production, but you know, it's a similar kind of noisiness and abrasiveness, only with no commercial aspiration whatsoever. So you know, you just imagine Kurt Cobain being way more like. So just so imagine like what In Utero was what Kurt Cobain actually wanted it to be. Yeah, exactly. Songs about fucking is probably what Kurt Cobain actually wanted In Utero to sound like. I guess that's probably why he chose Steve Albini to work with. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's why. Well, he also produced the Pixies album. Right. That's true. That's true. 
Yeah, that guy's produced a lot of shit. Yeah. That guy... Yeah, and so that's why, you know, his band... I didn't even know Big Black was his band, so I was kind of interested once I realized that. And I think, to be honest, that's the biggest, you know, because I've had this album hanging around my computer for a very long time, and I think realizing Steve Albini was in the band was the first time that I decided it's something that I need to, like, check out more, mm. because obviously there's got to be something there if, like, it was his band. Uh-huh. You know, maybe not. You don't know if Steve Albini's a good songwriter. No. You know? But... But that's the thing, the songwriting is less important than the sound of the album itself because it does the noise rock thing kind of so definitively almost. Sure. Cool. Yeah, so I think there's songs on the album, but I don't know for sure. (laughs) It might just be noise. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I've also been listening to a lot of Scott Walker, who I've probably talked about before. I don't think I know who that is. Well, Scott Walker is very interesting, too, because... He was in this sunshine pop group called the Walker Brothers in the 60s. And then he sort of went off to do a solo career. And it was very sort of like M.O.R. musically, like middle of the road kind of adult. A.O.R.? No, no, M.O.R. What's M.O.R.? A.O.R. is album-oriented rock. M.O.R. is middle of the road. I see. Yeah. So it's like that, but like he had all these like weird, dark themes, you know, lyrically. And, you know, he just, like, covered songs by weird people like Jacquie Brel, who was, like, a French songwriter who wrote a lot of weird songs. And there's just kind of a lot of really sort of, like, seedy songs about just kind of just a whole, you know, the range of topics you imagine when you think about sort of, like, the seedier part of society. Uh Uh, And then he sort of, you know, after his first four self-titled albums, (laughs) he kind of began to disappear a little bit. As the '90s and as the '70s and '80s wore on, and then he returned in the mid '90s with his album Tilt, which, where he just kind of like, you know, because before he, you could tell his singing was very influenced by Frank Sinatra, but he was kind of like this weird so, version of Frank Sinatra. What was like? What did the Walker Brothers sound like? Like what were they like? Kind of like the Mamas and the Papas, okay. just like '60s pop. Okay. Um, but then with Tilt, he really completely reinvented his style. And he began to sing in this really atonal, operatic voice and create just these really dark, ominous, industrial-influenced kind of music to sing over. And that was like 95. And then a decade later, in like 2006, he released The Drift. And that's what he's best known for, because that album took the sort of ideas he put in Tilt and made it sound even more bleak and oppressive. And like, you know, Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth wanted Opeth's album Watershed to sound like The Drift, but he said he couldn't because his mind wasn't as sick as Scott Walker's. And that's a, it's a very interesting story because he's a guy who came out of this sunshine pop group and like today is sort of like, you know, hailed as, you know, this avant-garde kind of mm-hmm. master almost. So, well, yeah, it's almost like a, like a, um, like a, um, shit. You know, got, it's like a Brian Wilson kind of thing, almost. Except Brian Wilson never became avant-garde. He just got Yeah, that's the thing. Brian Wilson never really pulled a Scott Walker. Yeah. Because his music is always still pretty suited for sunshine, no matter how dark it got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that said, those albums of his are not the ones I've been listening to. I've been listening to the first four self-titled albums because those have always been the most kind of accessible ones. And, you know, they're, they're really interesting because they have so much influence from, you know, musically from, like, Frank Sinatra and then from, like, Spaghetti Westerns and and just kind of, like, a whole range of different things you hear in the music, you know, right down to, obviously, you know, folk and country and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he just had, like, this really beautiful, rich voice and was just always singing things that, like, if you listen closely, there's just some fucked up things going on in his lyrics that you just wouldn't... Ex- that no other pop stars of the time or even to this day really kind of cover. Mm-hmm. So that's some that's some good stuff that has been occupying my time. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I have one more thing to talk about. Do it. And it's an album that, again, I've really not listened to all the way through. <laughs> but it's called Nujabis. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't even know if that's the name of the artist or the name of the album. <laughs> I just, I'm just not Yukabe. sure. I don't know. But he's the, he was this Japanese hip-hop producer, and he died not long ago, and this was his posthumous album. And, uh, and... So it was like Donuts. Exactly, it's like yeah. his Donuts. There's a few, uh, there's a few rappers featured on the album, like, I, I think they're all probably from Japan, uh, but most, a lot of it's instrumentals. And it's just, he made really, really beautiful beats that 
are different from <coughs> kind of American hip hop beats because they're very jazzy, but not like American jazz rap. They actually sound like jazz music. Mm -hmm. so, and so it's just really pretty. It's nice to listen to. Sweet. And that's pretty much it. That's all that's I got. Cool. Yeah, I honestly do not have a lot. I have my whole list of bands that I'm about, that I'm like going to listen to, if you want to hear that. <laughs> All right, what are, what are you listening to on the trip? All right, I got Hospice by The Antlers, which is a, a sort of indie rock classic that I've not listened to. Mm -hmm. It's from like the early 2000s. Uh, I have Caribou's album called Swim. Have you ever listened to Caribou? Mm, I've heard them, actually. They sound really cool. Yeah. But I've never, like, sat down and listened to them myself. Yeah. I have Cloud Dead's yeah. first album, which I've which I've heard you and Adam both talking about, and that I've, that I've seen before and been like, oh, let's check this out, and sort of never have. So I got mm -hmm. that. I've got Tomo Genesis' new album. I've got two Explosions in the Sky albums, which I'm assuming I'm actually probably not going to like because they're post-rock, and I feel like... They, they, they're pretty cool, though. They're pretty good. Yeah. I've never listened to a full album, but the songs I've heard have been pretty interesting. Okay. And I don't like post-rock, so... Uh, fair. Okay, well, that's good Take to know. Take that as you well, will. Uh, no, that's good to know, because, you know, Explosions in the Sky are one of those bands who are, like, a classic post-rock band, but mm -hmm. I'm already into post-rock, and it's, I, I've sort of talked about this before, where I feel like just post-rock in general I'm kind of done with at yeah. the moment. Yeah, because it can't really surprise you anymore. Yeah, exactly. But, hey, if they can, that's awesome, because mm -hmm. I, I do love the genre. I, I, I really do like the stuff that those bands do. I just feel like you know, you don't need a lot of bands doing it. Mm -hmm. I have a band called Icarus the Owl. They were on the front page of Sputnik. They're sort of like a progressive punk band, from what I understand. Like, they're really technical and complicated, but they're kind of punky. Cool. So that sounds cool. I have Justice's album, which I got because nice. I hear it sounds like Daft Punk. Yeah, that's what I told you. Yep, yep. That's what a lot of people have told me. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that means I, I yeah, to it. Totally I actually listened, I listened to the first song of that and thought it was cool. Yeah. I have uh, Kurt Vile's album that came out last year. It's called cool. Smoke Ring for My Halo. That I always wanted to get into that. Guy. Yeah, I hear that's a really good one. I've got my fucking Mr. Bungle back, finally, yeah, yeah. because I, 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 like, every week, pretty much, I would go onto my iPod and be like, oh, I don't have Mr. Bungle. Shit. <laughs> and so I finally, you know, you know, it was the catalyst for me getting my Mr. Bungle back. I have Illmatic, finally. Nice. Um, I got Ratatat's album Classics, cool. which is a pretty well-known album that I heard. I actually heard that album at um, at work when I was at that internship, and I was like, this sounds pretty cool. Yeah, Ratatat was my jams a few years ago. Yeah. And I've got two Venetian Snares albums. Oh, they're really cool. I've See, I've heard Venetian Snares before. I had an album of theirs called, or I guess it's of his, called Winnipeg is a Frozen Shithole, and mm. I didn't like that album that much. It's super aggressive, and it's really cool for one song, and then after that it's sort of just blah. It mm. doesn't really last over an album. Yeah. But I, I know that album, you know, that guy's got a ton of albums. He's probably got 10 or 15 albums at this point. Um, I know that one is probably not one of his most well more well-received ones. I just... Mm. I think I got it because the, the, the album title caught me, you know. Yeah, it's a good album title. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I got. I'm Sweet. excited. I should. I really need to get, like, a live 97 and 2007, yeah. but I don't think I have space for them on my iPod at this point, so I might not do that. Also, I only have, I only have the rest of this day to fucking pack and shit, so yeah. I kind of need to, no time to, need to get on it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I've got. That's what you can uh, you can look forward to in two weeks or so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me take down a few of these albums so I can listen to them and we can talk about them. Oh yeah? Alright. It's gonna take you a while to fucking text it into your phone. You're right, I'll do it after. Do it later. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, let's get into some news. I don't News. I don't. Well there was some there were some kinda interesting slash weird things that happened. Uh, ten people redeemed their Who tickets. That's all I know. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's more than I thought. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That I don't really know that. what I expected. I guess I didn't think too much about it, so I figured a bunch of people would, but yeah. I guess it makes sense that it was only ten people. Yeah. This is the uh, for the show that's coming up uh, that you can... you can. Uh, there was a show that they canceled back in, I think it was 74. Either, either 74 or 78, where... Uh, and then they said that, you know, the con the, the concert people, the promoter said that if you, you could bring in one of the tickets to that show and they would let you into the show for free. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. People actually did that. I didn't really think anyone would. Hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the big news from this week, which is Snoop Lion. Man, everybody's... This is a brilliant marketing scam. It is. Because everybody's talking about Snoop Dogg. I don't think that... People have been talking about Snoop Dogg this much in, like, two decades. Probably. So, I mean, okay, so here's what Snoop... So, the story of Snoop Lion is that 
if you've been following what Steve Dog has been doing, he just released a, a, a reggae track. Um, which Did you was, listen to it? No, I haven't. It was it bad. bad? Yeah. It's really bad. Okay. How does he sound as a, as a reggae singer? Here's the thing. The track sounds nice because it's sampling a classic reggae song. So I, it, you know, came on and started. I was like, hey, this might not be so bad. This sounds like some good old classic reggae. And then Snoop Dogg comes on pretending to be Jamaican and, like, you know, toasting. Does he not even it? toasting. Does He's he have singing. the accent and everything? He or? puts on the accent. Really? That's the problem. Mm. It's really like, ooh. I gotta listen to that. I don't know why I haven't This isn't yet. you, Snoop. It's just such, it's so, it's so bizarre. I just don't know why I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so what? And then so he released his track, and everyone was kind of like, "Okay, this is kind of weird." And then it was uh, revealed last week that in actuality, Snoop Dogg is no longer Snoop Dogg. He is now he went to Jamaica. He has been what was he, what is it blessed or, or promoted? I don't I don't exactly uh, know what the word I think I think I don't awakened. Yeah, I guess it spiritually awakened into Rastafarianism, yeah. and he is now being known as Snoop Lion. Do you know what the Lion Rastafari connection is? Because I don't. Um, I mean, it's probably just like a symbol of strength and stuff. I yeah. imagine. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure there's something more particular. To yeah, I, I should have. I should have researched it going in, yeah. and I didn't. You know, I come to think of it, Snoop Dogg might actually be of Jamaican descent, but that doesn't change the fact that he can't pretend he has a Jamaican accent. <laughs> At least not for a whole record. I mean, there's a song on the Chronic. I'm just remembering where he sort of does a little toasting section, and that's kind of cool. Mm. But he can't pretend to be a reggae artist who speaks like that all the time. Yeah. It'll be funny if in interviews he just starts talking like that too. And I bet <laughs> he, he will. Started putting. On, I don't know. You think he's gonna start putting on a Jamaican accent? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That seems. He's crazy. doing it in his music. Why not just do it in his in his interviews too? I mean, so many people do that. Fucking Matisse Yahoo does that shit. That's true. You know, it's like, it's like a regular thing. Like it, it seems to be like a, a pretty a, a pretty common thing of like if you are playing reggae, even if you are not Jamaican, you put on a Jamaican. Accent. And I guess it's kind of like how most people when they rap will end up kind of rapping as if they're an African American. Yeah, which is kind of weird too. That's yeah, sort of street. You know, sometimes when I freestyle, I'll end up throwing in some of those colloquials. Yeah. But like, I'm always careful to not actually try to speak like that because that's not my voice. Yeah. And it would just be false to attempt to do it. Yeah, so Snoop Lion, he's he's up there. He's a, he's a thing now. I'm inter I'm really interested in where this is gonna go and when he's gonna become Snoop Dogg again. You think he's just gonna do the one album and be like, all right, well that was fun. Back to Snoop Dogg. Back to being like, a gangster. Yeah, he's like, yo, I for I, I was spiritually awakened in Jamaica and became Snoop Lion, but then I forgot how fun it was to kill to people. To be an OG. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know, cause he was talking about kind of abandoning the the G before this whole Snoop Lion thing, which makes it seem that much more calculated, but that, even taking that aside, like, you know, he was talking about how he wanted his next album to be something a bit more kind of peaceful and like, you know, a bit more true to who he is well, now. He had, that, he had that country album. No, he didn't have a, that's just awesome. a song. Kind of, yeah, he just had like a song that was a yeah. tribute to Johnny Cash, okay. which was on an album that was kind of a hodgepodge of different styles. And like, you know, there were a few cool songs, but then he still had a lot of gangster stuff on there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's all well and good that he wants to abandon that because it's not who he is now. And like, that's a good thing. I don't think he should be running around pretending to be a gangster. But he really took it to a whole new level by instead going and pretending to be like this Rasta. So I think if he does become Snoop Dogg again... Whether it's in a week or five years, he's probably not going to necessarily return to the gangster themes, but he will sort of return to just being a rapper. At least I hope so. Mm -hmm. But speaking of people abandoning the G, <laughs> Lil Wayne has quit rapping. Um, so he's decided that he's going to be a skateboarder. I mean, it doesn't see it like it seems like the headlines are trying to make it out as if this is bigger well, yeah. than it is. It's more that he's he's putting it, but he's like not doing it for a little while. Like yeah, he's yeah. Focusing on his skateboarding and sort of not doing music. Yeah. It's funny because he has acknowledged the fact he's you know he's like I've been everywhere. People deserve me to like. I, I, he's like I should just stop. To go away for yeah. A I should just like step away for a little bit. But he's also been gone for so long while he was in jail. Yeah, but he was like he's guested on a lot of tracks. Yeah, yeah. He's true. sort of everywhere and he's acknowledging that and been like you know I think it's time, which is kind of a, an interesting thing for Little Wayne of all people to do. Yeah. Uh, to to sort of acknowledge the fact like yeah people are sick of him. Yeah, I was like okay, I I've had enough. I'm good. So he's gonna be a skateboarder, which is kind of interesting. I mean, Little Wayne. Is, uh, how old is he? He's young. He's probably still, like, 25. Really? Is he not in his 30s by now? No, because he, when he started rapping, like, the mid-90s, he was, like, 13. Crazy. He's really, really young. Um, 
Yeah, he's 29. Oh, okay, he's old. That's, a, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty old to become a skateboarder, though. I wonder if this is going to pan out. Yeah. And I wonder if he's going to start using his name or if he's going to keep being Lil Wayne. I'm sure he'll be Lil Wayne. Yeah. That's cool. I'm excited to, to see Lil Wayne turn up at the X Games, which I don't watch. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. It'd be fun. pretty cool if he ends up becoming a really famous skateboarder and never needs to go back to music. I don't think he will. Yeah, probably. Like, how good do you think he is at skateboarding? Probably not that good. Probably not. Like, I'm sure he's... I mean, probably not like pro good is all. Yeah. I'm sure he's I'm got sure some he's skills. Better than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he can do some stuff. I mean, if he's if he's going into it like this, I'm sure he's, he's you know, going headfirst into it and is aware of it. Ah, Snoop Dogg seems to think he's a good reggae singer. <laughs> I guess so. It's, it's still cool. I don't know. These rappers and their egos. <laughs> it's true. You don't see rock stars becoming skateboarders. Usually, right? Uh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I don't know. You don't see Gene Simmons skateboarding. He would if that's where the money was. That's true. But you do see rock stars join other bands. <laughs> that's true. Man, I've been fucking rocking these segs today. Um, that, was a, that was a good seg. So Sonic Youth are not around anymore. Um, but Thurston Moore has joined a black metal supergroup called Twilight. Uh, this is made up of members of Nachtmeistium, Minsk, the Atlas Moth, Krieg, and Isis. That's really cool. They have an album coming out this fall. That's kind of it. That's kind of cool. See, I'll tell you why that's really cool. Okay, go. Because black metal, you know, I guess when it became a big deal in the 90s, which is a specific time and place and attitude, and it was very elitist in that way, and black metal today is much more open to uh, to incorporating all different kinds of things and you know a majority of black metal releases they seem to be pretty geared toward the more atmospheric side of the genre and you know like incorporating elements of post rock and psychedelic and all this kind of stuff and i think that that leaves the whole genre of black metal a lot more open to an artist like you know a member of sonic youth to become a part of it and to experiment with it and i just think that's really cool you know that all these guys from kind of different types of rock and metal bands can come together and create you know something that will still sound like some kind of black metal music but at the same time doesn't need to adhere to any kind of to fit in some kind of <laughs> box in order to be that style of music mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of an interesting prospect for a band. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea to sort of bring in... I mean, also the guy from ISIS being there is kind of interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it seems like... This seems like it could be a pretty cool project of, like, a lot of sound... You know, because what Sonic Youth did best is explore sort of what a guitar could do mm -hmm. and the kind of sounds it could make. And so sort of seeing that approach being taken to a black metal act could be really, really interesting. Yeah. Do you know any of the other guys? Like, any of the other bands? Do you listen to them at all? Or um, Leviathan is familiar. Yeah, I think I've listened to Leviathan, but that's it. Cool. All I right. think they're like a doom band or something. Neat. So yeah, that's cool. Um, in Saturn news, the Bill Doss, who is the guy, who's um, the guy behind Olivia Tremor Control and Elephant Six Band, and also the co-founder of Elephant Six, has passed away. Yeah. Um, that was sad. Yeah. See. Yeah, he's only 44. Which is actually weird because I was looking up this story and some people say he's 43 and some people say he's 44. Conspiracy? <laughs> yes. He's actually alive. Yeah. Jokes. Um, no, we're not serious. It's no one, no one, uh, no cause of death. He's actually right Roar. He's Roar? Yeah, he's the guy who does Roar. Oh, I see. He's hiding away and pretending, you know, and being that guy. Of course. Um, but yeah. So he's he's gone. Uh, he was a songwriter, guitarist, and vocalist of the Illumina Tremor Control, yeah. who are a cool band that I've never really listened to. Yeah. Yeah, he, you know, along with uh, the Apples in Stereo, he kicked off that whole Elephant Six movement. Really. And, like, Neutral Milk Hotel as well. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I just don't think about them because, to me, they're sort of, like, a unique sort of separate entity because those other bands are so clearly kind of, like, the 60s pop bands that Elephant Six is more known for. Yeah. Neutral Milk was always a more unique kind of thing. Even Neutral Milk's first album, though, has a bit of that, that sort of 60s throwback vibe to it. I guess. I, I guess that's the thing. It feels less like throwback and more like, you know, they're influenced by it, but it's not what they're actually trying to make. Right. Oh, uh, but yeah, regardless. Yeah, so yeah, no cause of death is. right now. I, I, this, this was, this happened about a week ago, a little, a little more than a week ago, um, or actually exactly a week ago. And I've been looking to see if they, there's a cause of death announced in the past week, but there has not been. So mysterious. Um, usually, when there's no cause of death, it tends to be drugs or like sometimes it's just like an aneurysm. 
mm-hmm. but that's rare. It's usually drugs. But I'm not gonna make any assumptions because, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? So yeah, that's too bad. Shame. Cool band. Do you think he was on the the tour that we saw, the Elephant Six show? I don't think so. I don't think that any of the front people were on that. No. Tour. Hmm. All right. I don't really know. I don't know who the people are really. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Um, last piece of news that I have is that Primus are doing a 3D tour. What does that mean? I don't know. There are very few details. Um, but apparently, so what does it say here? So they, they're going to do, they're still touring on Green Nagahide, which is their last album that they came out with. That was okay. Did I talk about that ever? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I never really, I listened to it like once and thought it was okay. What Fucking like? Primus have just been destroyed by the jam scene. You mean they've been made better? No, the they've been scene. totally destroyed. <laughs> Primus went, because Primus used to be like such a weird and fucked up and really cool band that were like influenced by metal and funk and like yeah. all this weird stuff. And, you know, they had, they had definitely did a lot of droney songs, but they were like purposeful and this sort of, Primus are such a unique band. No band sounds like Primus. Um... And Green Dog Hyde was their first album in a long time, and since then, Les Claypool has gotten really into the jam scene, and Primus, like, yeah. I have a show that they have from 2004, and, like, <clears> where <throat> they extend all their songs out to, like, 17 minutes long and do all this jamming, <laughs> and that stuff's kind of cool still, <laughs> but it sort of becomes a little directionless. And so what Primus have now done, they used to be the like, super energetic, crazy, unique band, making weird songs that were just so odd and, and so sort of characteristic, and they're still doing that. But what the jam scene has done to them is it's made Les Claypool start to just fucking basically make a bunch of riffs and then have them go on for ten minutes and go nowhere. Hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's just like a real shame for that band. Like, Green Hide was an okay album, but just... See, I, I've actually become more interested in Primus because, of, because he sort of, like, you know, embraced that scene and become Some a of his of projects it. from that scene have been cool. Like, Oysterhead is a neat band. Yeah. That's his band with Tranestegio and Stuart Copeland. Mm-hmm. Like, that band is pretty cool. That band is really cool. A lot of his side projects are cool. His, his solo stuff is, like, not amazing, but it's at least weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains was a short-lived and neat project that was with him. It was him. It was the second drummer of Primus, who isn't as good as the first. Actually, who's technically the third drummer of Primus, I should say. Um, and um, Buckethead. Mm, that, was a, right. that was also a, an interesting kind of combination. I also just think it's an interesting thing for a band to do. Like, I feel like Primus are the only band to have kind of begun being clearly kind of like their own kind of band and then sort of like became a part of the jam scene, whereas most yeah. jam bands kind of just, you know, start off jam band. Way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyways, okay, so so they're doing two sets, as they, as they <clears> often <throat> do, which means they'll probably be doing like a... Uh, a collective set for the first set and the second set they'll probably play Green Nog Hide all the way through which is what they've been doing um, but they, what they'll be doing is uh, okay it's the first traveling 3D enhanced live musical performance and it will provide a one of a kind psychedelic experience further enhanced by the fact that every show will also feature quad surround sound now quad surround sound has not been around since like the 70s like that's what Quadrophenia the Who album was mm. sort of based on right. of quadraphonic sound so instead of like two speakers and a central subwoofer or whatever. It's like four speakers, so it's surrounding you, mm-hmm. which is very rare, and it was sort of failed and didn't become as popular as it as it was supposed to be. But I guess it's back now. Um, oh, with the with how far technology's come, it really makes sense that that kind of thing would work better today yep. than it could have then. Yeah. Um, so the 3D technology has been, perform- has been developed by... Um, an outgrowth of Industrial Light and Magic, which is George Lucas's group and sort of the people at the forefront of, of technology mm-hmm. in, used in entertainment at this point. Um, so apparently fans are going to get 3D goggles at the beginning of each show. Every show is going to be different and have different environments. Okay, so here's a statement from Claypool. Every show will be different. Different environments as far as venues are going to lend themselves to different experiences depending on where you are and whatnot in the crowd. It's very heady. People are going to be moshing around, probably won't get any of this, but the heads will get it. The acid heads. Yeah, that's probably what he means. Um, that is what he means. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And I think that th- that quote maybe demonstrates why he got into the jam scene in the first place. And, you know, maybe as a rock band kind of playing these songs night after night, you know, for them maybe it gets kind of like redundant and boring. And it's like, 
you know, w the whole, what is most interesting, I think, you know, whether you like jam music and the bands themselves or not, what's most interesting about it is the way that it creates, you know, an experience rather than just a concert and, you know, where a band is playing off each other and therefore kind of playing off the audience and, you know, that one thing they can promise is that every night is going to be kind of a different experience sure. rather than just playing songs. And I think that that quote kind of demonstrates why Les Claypool maybe is interested in that. I think that's kind of cool. I guess so. I mean, I guess Les Claypool has always had an, had an interest in, in, I mean, in like psychedelics, obviously. Yeah. He's, a, he's a weird guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the early Primus sort of has more of that headbanging sort of metal influence to it, whereas the newer stuff is more on the side of the psychedelic kind of shit. And I, mm -hmm. I think it has been a negative change. Yeah, sure. In my opinion. Um, but yeah. I still think it's it's a neat idea though. I mean, I, you know, anyone who's doing something new with the context of like a of live performance is sort of often worth working watching out for as yeah. long as it's not a hologram. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm curious to see what what the what everything's gonna actually look like, and it's kind of neat. I promise, there's still a band that I have like a really dear band to me who I've never seen. Every time they come by, just something comes up, and I can't go see them. It's fucked up. Just it's always happened. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the news for this week. Unless you have anything, Corey. I do All not. Right. Well, uh, you got anything else to talk about? We got mm, like nah. All right, we'll end it there. Short episode. Um, we'll be here. We'll be back either in two weeks or in a week if Corey gets his fucking shit together. Right, Corey? You're not gonna disappoint the fans, are you? I'll try not to disappoint you, Sammy. Who's in England and isn't listening anyway? Oh, he will be. I'm sure oh, yeah. he will be. All right. Yeah, man. Well, I'll try not to disappoint you. Fucking, you gotta do it. I'm making you. But if he doesn't, if Corey's a lazy shit, then we'll see you in two weeks, I guess. Ew. Oh, God. What the hell fucking, am I doing? I don't know. What are, your, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's the question that we're all asking ourselves. One, two, three, four. Too loud, guys. You are just not doing well. Do you want me to do the guitar? No, I can play it. <laughs> Too loud, guys. Too loud, guys. Hey, you did it. All right, catch you guys later. <laughs>